0: I'm Liz Corey. And I'm Katie King. And this is True Crime New England. What's up, everybody? Hello. Welcome back to another episode. Thank you for joining us on this brisk Thursday morning. Or maybe it's not brisk because global warming is very real right now. Jesus
1: Christ. I know. Normally we would be drowning in snow and there is not a single flake left on the ground. Not a single centimeter. They're saying that this may be the mildest winter in New England history. Really? Yeah, which is not going to bode well in a few months when we need the buildup of condensation right. and rain and snow. We're going to be facing a drought, I fear. Oh, 100%. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not looking too hot, but uh, hopefully, if you're listening outside of the region, maybe you're having better
0: weather luck, hopefully. Yeah. Like on, we're recording this on a Sunday. On Friday, it got, it was like 56 degrees outside. In January, I went outside with a short sleeve shirt and just went about. It was awful. Yeah, it's getting a little scary. Yeah. I just, yeah, it's getting a little scary. Yeah, it's not pleasant. Um, And this has been your report from True Crime New England and the weather. <laughs> Thank you for sitting through that segment with us, but... Technically, it is about New England. Not wrong. So it's appropriate for the podcast. Also appropriate for the podcast, we're going to do
1: a little crime current events section before we get into our regularly scheduled programming.
0: (sighs) Because you know what, guys? We're recording this four days before this episode comes out, and usually we don't record so close to when an episode is released, and right now the true crime world is on fire. There is so much going on. And coincidentally, the two major stories right now involve a piece of trash named Brian. It's very weird coincidences going on. Yeah, I mean, obviously,
1: I'm sure most of you guys have been following along, as well as us, of course, the Idaho murders of the four college students. I mean, it seems like we're getting new
0: information every day. Yeah. Yeah. It's awful. My coworker um who is also into true, into true crime like ourselves. Um she is into I'm a similar way. She is into the uh crime scene photos and the audio and all this stuff. And some of that I can handle, but some of it I'm like I will not listen to or whatever. And she found and I guess it's on TikTok, there's a recording of the neighbor's ring doorbell and it records like from because they got DoorDash in the morning, like a little whip bit before they were murdered. And then you can hear the dog barking, and you can hear um, Ethan, the boy, screaming. And it's the worst ever. And you can hear the, um, who we now know, allegedly the murderer, Brian Kohlberger, I believe his name is. You can hear him saying, don't worry, I'll help you in the recording, which is he's reported as saying Via um, the one of the roommates who survived. So you can hear him say that. And it's terrifying.
1: It's awful. Holy shit. And he, he is something else. I mean, there are screenshots going around of, I think a Reddit conversation where it's, you know, this is all alleged, but there's pretty damning evidence that this Reddit user is this character, Brian, where he's going back and forth in comments Debating with people saying, no, the killer 100% left a knife sheath at the scene of the crime. The killer 100% did this. The killer was thinking this that night. And people are like, well, there's no way we know that. You know, it wouldn't make sense for that to happen. And he's like, you don't know what you're talking about. Yikes. That's what happened. Yikes. Yeah. And sure enough, we just learned that there was a knife sheath left at the scene of the crime that had his DNA
0: on it, which is how they got him. Literally next to one of the victim's bodies. Like, It's terrible. He's, it's similar to one of the episodes we did very recently, um, the murder of Melissa Jenkins, his, he thought he was doing it right. He thought he knew and he was so calculated, but this fucker was dumber than dumb. Like he could not, he knew how to commit a murder, but clearly in his studies, he didn't learn how to cover it up correctly. I think too, a
1: lot of it, and it's with this case and the other one we'll touch briefly on as yeah. it's still developing. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the times the perpetrator gets very cocky
0: Yes, and they get
1: very overly confident like, oh, I'm carrying out this murder. No one's ever going to know it's me. I'm doing it flawlessly. Everybody else is so dumb. They're never going to catch me. And they get overly cocky and overly confident. And that is their downfall because they make a stupid mistake and they miss something. Absolutely. And then they get caught, Mm -hmm. which I mean, a stupid mistake. Thank God for that, because then we catch whoever did the crime and we get the victim some justice, the much needed justice. But I mean, it really is, especially with perpetrators who are white men, we often see they're very... Cold and calculated, and well, guess what? Holier than thou. Exactly. Guess what? You thought you were better than everybody else, and that ended up being
0: your downfall. Oh yeah, and you know what? This sounds very... um, I don't know. Like I'm upset about it, but you cannot get away with murder in 2023. No, there's too much. Everyone has a camera on the a ring doorbell, a security camera. They're on the street lamps. Like they're everywhere. Cash. Is, can be followed. Credit cards will be followed. Literally like your cell phone. you They can tell when you turn it off and when you turn it back on again. So if like this stupid Brian guy, your phone is on and then you get close to the crime scene, you turn it off. And then when you're done murdering them, you turn it back on. Huh. Technology, you know, autopsies and stuff can tell when bodies, when people died. Oh, it lines up when you turned off your fucking phone. Great.
1: It's so crazy. And I mean, I feel like this case has been moving so quickly and there's been so much media attention. Mm -hmm. Law enforcement's been on it a million percent. Yeah. And it's been so huge with catching the guy. Right. And that is amazing. Yeah. I hate to say it, but the police did do A very good job. Oh, they wasted no time. They wasted no expense. They wasted no resource, which that's how it should be for everybody. Right. And we don't see that. No. I mean, four college kids
0: are murdered. You better be on that shit. Absolutely. And they kept it close to the vest. It sounds like they knew fairly quickly who it was, and they did not reveal just little clues. And I think that was really smart. Yeah.
1: I heard, I mean, this could be all through armchair sleuths, and this has been getting a lot of attention on social media. So a lot of times when that happens, things can be misconstrued or people misunderstand mm-hmm. a piece of information and take something and run with it. Yeah. My understanding is that one of the girls, one of the victims was saying that a man was stalking her oh. for mm-hmm. at least a month or so leading up to it. Yeah. And she was saying, you know, I feel like I'm being stalked. I feel like I'm being followed. There's a man that won't leave me alone. I have a stalker. Yeah. And she was brushed off, which that is very common, yeah. where women say, there's a man that's harassing me. Yeah. Get me a restraining order. Get me this. Get me that. And they're like, you know, we can't do anything until you're dead, basically. Literally. We can't do shit until there's a crime. Right. No crime is committed if a man is texting you a lot, which is crazy because that's harassment. Yeah. And it's so dangerous. Yeah. And we, we see it so many times where women are saying, I feel unsafe. Yeah. And they're just brushed aside because, well, technically a crime hasn't been committed. So if you're attacked and you survive, get back
0: to us and we'll help you then. I literally can't believe that's still a philosophy Mm -hmm. in 2023. (laughs) Like, it's insane to me. I can't. I can't even believe it. And that's just to say, you know, that's the Idaho murders, you know. And then there's a case going on right now in Massachusetts, um, which, of course, New England. But that's, you know, whatever. Of this young woman, Anna Walsh, who all of a sudden New Year's Day or around then she disappeared. She was supposed to go to Washington D.C. for you know work or something, and she never showed up. And they were like, "What the hell?" And then all these pieces come into play, and the technology thing comes back because this her husband, whose name was Brian as well, he uh, was caught on you know security cameras buying. Almost $500 worth of cleaning supplies. Tarp, duct tape, bleach. Um, hello? What are you doing with all that stuff? Murdering? Oh, it turns out he was. And as of this recording, Anna still has not been found. However, a lot of pieces have been found of where kind of you can make the conclusion that that poor woman is dead. So it's like, you know, it's awful. Um and technology again bites him in the ass because he googled i think it was on his son's ipad to try and hide it how to dismember a 115 pound woman yeah what i know isn't
1: that nice on your child oh my god yep
0: yep so that's awful first of all and then um they First of all, the house also was set on fire and burned down after a few days when she was reported missing. So that's fucking weird. The cleaning utensils, the Google search, once they kind of were onto him, they found... They, like, looked through the trash and stuff and found a bloody hacksaw. And they found something else, too. Like, a bloody rug. Like, dude, could you be
1: more obvious? And that's the thing, too, is clearly... He's so lax about all of this because he's overly confident and cocky. Yes. Like, oh, I'm gonna buy everything in cash and they won't be able to you're you're doing a haul. Literally. You're getting a five hundred dollar haul of things that if you were really calculated you would buy over separate trips, like we exactly. were talking about before recording this. Yes. And you maybe would Google something a little more inconspicuous than how to dismember a one hundred and fifteen pound woman. Yeah. When your wife weighs one hundred, literally 150
0: pounds, like, (laughs) yeah, what is... uh, Yeah. And this dumb idiot, too, was on house arrest for um, art fraud. So he literally had a bracelet, like an anklet on, and he went to fucking Home Depot or whatever and was like, they'll never catch me. And it's like, you dumb, dumb butthead. They had you the second you even stepped foot out of your house. (laughs) What? (laughs) Holy shit. This guy. And he, if you see his picture... Oh my god. First of all his forehead is bigger than my whole body. <laughs> Second of all he needs to work on his hair. Third of all this mother... Muv- he's a fucking he's a murderer. He killed his wife and his poor children too. That's I know.
1: Can you imagine? I think they have three sons, three young. I heard three young. And Ugh. imagine too with you know all of the media coverage is getting all of the law enforcement attention which good because Wait. they are hauling yeah, they're on top of it too with making progress with this yeah which i mean too you can look at they lived in a beautiful house yes they did this is a white woman yep. her husband yep. they have three beautiful boys or three beautiful children mm-hmm. yeah but then these poor boys are going to grow up and google their mom yeah. or google this case and figure out these crazy awful details and it's they it's so sad
0: that they have to be Exposed to that. Yeah. It's pretty awful. You know, they... And I hate to say it, but they are losing two parents. You know? Absolutely. As awful as he is. Maybe he... I don't know how he treated his children, but regardless, they're losing their dad as well, which is sad. It's awful. And to grow up knowing that your dad killed your mom. That's tough.
1: Right. And I hope that they have other relatives they can go live with. Yeah. I
0: believe they're in the custody of relatives now. Okay, good. Um, Which... <sighs> sad yeah yeah wow it's crazy the true crime world is popping off lately
1: and there's a million different i mean i think just this past week or just this past few days there's been three separate instances where the father figure of a home killed his entire family yes and this happens a lot with recessions a lot of times you see an increase in familiar side with mm-hmm. recessions so mm-hmm. it's only going
0: to get worse 100 percent. it's scary yeah and all these cases really throw into perspective, like somebody you love could do this to you. Yeah. You think you're safe with you Cause you have, there's six of you living in a house and you know, no, but you still, you're at call, whatever. It's awful. It makes you, and you hear like mass shootings and stuff. You're like, I'm not safe at the grocery store. I'm on a locked unit in a hospital, but you know, angry dads can find a way, whatever. Like it's insane. So I think that's the one, well, the one downfall of true crime probably isn't the right, sentence but being into true crime gets you like hyper aware that like you really could die (laughs) at any point
1: right or even how many cases have we covered especially our case profiles yeah that someone's walking along and then they get shot
0: (laughs) right or hit by a stray bullet literally this last episode that came out right this past sunday um of this episode just standing outside talking this young woman gets shot in the head It's crazy. You could be
1: the average Joe living your life and then sayonara and you don't even have to. It never works out where you're a bad person Mm. and it's like karma catching up to you. It's always a great person. They were just going about their day. They never did anything wrong. And they're victims of these insane, awful crimes. Yeah, it's terrible.
0: And unfortunately, you know, with our case today, it's virtually that, you know, like one of the victims is a little girl who, she was just four years old. What could she have possibly done wrong to make her deserve that? Nothing. What could her mom have possibly, there's literally no justification for murder or a senseless act of violence. So the fact that we talk about these cases and it's like trying to rationalize why, and you just it only makes sense to the person who did it. And sometimes it doesn't even make sense to them. Right. Which is sad and scary. Right.
1: The fact that there's pieces of shit walking around among us that have the capability to do something like that
0: to another human being. Yeah. It's really sad. So, you know, like I just said, today's case is no exception of that. Um, it's a really good case that you, um, suggested we do. And I think great idea because it's really interesting. The case we have today was on our list of case
1: profiles to cover because it is a Hispanic girl and her mother. But then we were kind of going through and getting our lists organized. And there was a lot of information on this case. So we were able to fortunately take it off of our case profiles list for a mini episode and do a full episode on it, which thank God, because the little girl still has
0: not been found. Right, right. It's very interesting. Doing the research for this was nuts and it's all over the place because there's a lot of moving parts but it's really interesting and like you said katie she's still missing so i we like doing cases like that because even just a little 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 bit of attention maybe someday it'll do something you know for sure so without further ado today we will be covering the The disappearance of rosita camacho 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 and the murder of of rosa Delgado. delgado All righty. Today, in true, true crime New England fashion, nothing changes. And I would love it, Katie, if you could give me your sources.
1: It would be my greatest honor.
0: Our friendship is so important to me.
1: Because <laughs> <laughs> we just get each other. We really, listen, we wouldn't be going <laughs> 76 episodes if it weren't meant to be. I know. I know. All right, sorry, we'll stop flirting. <laughs> my sources today are The Charlie Project the Middletown Press. I use a Reddit thread called Missing in Connecticut. We've used them for case profiles before and they're great. I love them. So good. Very helpful. I also had information from the Daily News as
0: well as the New Haven Register. Nice. Some great sources there. I used that same Reddit thread, which was fantastic. Very detailed timeline, which I really enjoyed, as well as the comments on it were fantastic. Mm-hmm. Charlie Project, of course, the Hartford Current, our friend, our our loved one, and um, the Middletown Press as well. All right, Katie, do you want to start us off?
1: Sure. On October twenty fourth, nineteen ninety seven, four year old Rosa Camacho, nicknamed Rosita, and her mother, twenty one year old Rosa Delgado, left their home in Hartford, Connecticut, at about five p.m. Rosita was named after her mom, Rosa. So they both technically are named Rosa, but Rosita means little Rose. So that was the nickname she was given by family. And we will be referring to the four-year-old as Rosita
0: from now on. Yes.
1: The mom and child were going to go to the grocery store nearby called JJ's Groceries to buy a couple things they needed, including diapers and milk. The grocery store was very local and Rosa and Rosita were planning to walk there. It was not far. It was maybe four, five blocks. Rosa left her other daughter, who was five months old at the time, in the house with her older sister while she took Rosita to go to the store. Rosa had about $10 on her, which, I mean, diapers are expensive. Milk is expensive.
0: But, you know, she was going to make it work. Yeah. And she was, was going to get what she could. It was the 90s, you know. And I just because of curiosity, I was like, $10 today could get you, like, maybe a carton of milk. You know, like, it's really not a lot. And so I did some conversioning. I didn't do any. I just Googled it. Um, $10 in today's money is seventeen twenty nine. So even that doesn't sound like a lot for diapers and milk, you know? Wow. Yeah. Sorry. Just fun fact.
1: Damn. Yeah. A witness saw Rosa's former boyfriend and the father of Rosita, a man named Julio Camacho, talking to them on a street corner in the Parkville section of Hartford. After they were done talking, Rosa took Rosita to the store. The store owner, Louise Nunes, saw them buying milk, diapers, and Rosa actually was able to grab a couple little candies <laughs> for Rosita as a little treat for yeah. making the walk there and back <laughs> home. The store owner then saw them leave the store and walk north on Madison Avenue in the direction of their house. This was the last time Rosa was seen alive and the last time four-year-old Rosita was seen ever. Yeah.
0: Can you imagine learning later that you were the last one to see someone? That's really scary. Because then you're probably racking your brain like, what did I see? What did I notice? Right. That's hard. That's some serious stuff. Yeah.
1: One month after their disappearance in November of 1997, a woman's body was found floating in a lake in New Jersey of all places. Yeah, so random. By two duck hunters.
0: Hmm.
1: Columbia Lake, to be specific, which is about 180 miles from Hartford and actually very easily accessible by taking the I-80. Hmm. This spot, fun fact, is a known spot for people coming up from out of state and dumping bodies. Yikes. Because it's so close to the highway and very easily accessible from other states.
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so actually law enforcement check the area periodically for bodies.
0: That's how crazy it is. Luckily, these two duck hunters uh, did some work for them because they just stumbled upon her body. I can't even imagine. And the state of the body, too.
1: They retrieve the body from the water, and it's very obvious that this body is that of a woman. Mm. However, the hands and the head have been cut off. Ugh. Which authorities immediately see that and they say, okay, someone does not want this person identified. Absolutely. The tactic of removing the hands and the head was actually so effective that they weren't able to identify the body at first. And they had to nickname this woman the Lady of the Lake. Yeah. Which is kind of like the Lady of the Dunes or, you know, the Black Dahlia. Yes. Nicknames that they have to give unidentified people. Yeah. Yeah. Because they can't be identified. It's crazy. Yeah. The Lady of the Lake was not identified until two years later in 1999. Wow. When DNA testing finally revealed that the body was that of Rosa Delgado. That's crazy. Two years. Can you imagine her family? I know. Thinking she never came home from the store. She had her five-month-old baby.
0: I know. Waiting for her back at the house. I know. That's terrible. And you can imagine, too, in the 90s... You know, the internet is still relatively new. Databases are still kind of working themselves out. The New Jersey police having to work with the Connecticut police. That's tough. Right. It's a lot of um, communication and jurisdiction guidelines and things like that. So I think that's part of why it took some time. For sure. You know, for sure. The lake was searched and a lot of the water was
1: drained to hopefully find the rest of Rose's body or any trace of Rosita. They found deer carcasses, yeah, a ton of trash and debris. Sure, and they also found a trash bag, which they were feeling optimistic it would maybe have something. Yeah, they opened the trash bag and they found remains of a bunch of kittens. <gasps> I did not know that. Yep, that's awful. like someone. Yep. Hmm. Oh. Which is appalling because already you're looking for the remains of
0: a child, a child,
1: yeah. and you see a trash bag tied up, and you're thinking, oh, here we go, and then you open it up, and there's a bunch of deceased
0: kittens. I'm looking over at my cat right now. I know. I I, I read that, and I was like, "I, I that's go, enough research for today! <laughs> yep. like, I need to go what kiss my fun? cat. That's yeah. terrible, too, though. I know! Yeah. So, how frustrating, though. They really are like, this is it, and it's not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There have been no arrests made ever
1: in Rose's murder or Rosita's disappearance. However they quickly
0: determined a prime suspect. Interesting. And, you know, it's classic true crime. Everyone is into true crime knows this. The boyfriend, the husband, the ex-husband, the whoever, the romantic partner, always, the police, rightfully so, always are like, hmm, this guy or this woman, interesting. And uh, Julio Camacho was no different. And also why? Because he was the last person seen with these two, the mom and the baby. So immediately police are like, okay, we have her. This is Rosa. She doesn't have hands or a head. Who would go to such extreme lengths to have her not identified?
1: Right. And then driving 180 miles along the highway and dumping a body in a spot that is known for Bodies being dumped from out-of-staters.
0: I wonder if that was just a coincidence. Or I'm wondering
1: if his intimate knowledge of certain information allowed
0: him to have access to that little tidbit. That is a perfect segue, Katie, into uh, the information and the life of Julio Camacho, who, just as a fun fact, do not like this man, regardless if he was involved or not. He's a piece of garbage unrespectfully so Julio Camacho as you said Katie is the father of Rosita and he did have a brief relationship quote-unquote with Rosa Julio was actually a police officer for the Hartford Police Department and um I don't know his specific age uh at the time of meeting Rosa and the murder but um, Rosa was 16, and Julio was a grown-ass man. Like, an adult adult. He was in his second marriage to a woman named Deborah, who also worked on the police force. He had a child with, another, like, his first marriage. Um, so he was at least old enough to be married twice and have a child and all this stuff. So the way they met was creepy for a few reasons. One, because he's a piece of shit. Two, because he was on duty as a police officer, driving around. It was 1992. He was patrolling the streets and all of a sudden he was just taken aback by this beautiful girl. Sorry, teenager. And he kept driving back and forth, passing her.
1: Yeah, creepy. She was sitting outside on her front porch, minding her business, enjoying the beautiful day. Sure. And then this cruiser is just back and forth and back and forth and back and forth to try to get a glimpse of her and to try
0: to talk to her. She was 16. Now, and at no fault of Rosa, because that's a vulnerable age, it's an older man with a job and he's interested. You know, she was like, oh, you know, and he stopped and he talked to her. And pretty soon after that, they began a quote-unquote romantic relationship. I only say quote-unquote because she was a minor. And I just don't want to imply hundred percent that maybe it was consent. I don't, we don't know. Like, it's just a lot of gray area, right? She could have been consenting, but her age
1: being 16 prevents her from in the eyes of the law consenting, right. which right. he was well aware of as a police officer. Oh, yeah, he was a police officer who is actively committing statutory
0: rape on duty, on duty in his. Yep. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Um, and you know, what's like even worse is that this is not the first woman that Julio what's the right word not commissioned enticed while he was on duty so remember this whole time he's married to Deborah who is also a police officer on the same police force it was not too long after Rosa and Julio started their relationship that Rosita was born and soon after that the uh, couple quote broke up now understandably, Rose at this point was 17, and she had a baby, and she was not with this man. She needed financial help because she was raising a whole ass baby. And so she applied for state benefits. And, you know, this resulted in the state of Connecticut reaching out to Julio and demanding he pay. At the time, it was $188 a week to help support Rosita. I did convert this as well. That's $363 $363 in today's money a week. That's a pretty penny. Wow. Yeah. That's a pretty penny.
1: I will not lie. Wow. Yeah. Maybe think about that one before you start mm-hmm. having sexual relations with a minor and then abandoning her once the baby's born.
0: Hmm. Interesting, right? <laughs> and to my knowledge, Deborah knew about Rosita. Um, I think mostly because he had to pay child support, mm. but she listen. Um, We're not really, I'm not a big fan of Deborah myself for other reasons we'll get into, but you know, that kind of (laughs) sucks, you know, to be like, Oh, another one, right. Another one, another
1: woman that you cheated on me with and had a child with on duty on duty. Yeah. And now you're supporting, he was actually already paying child support for three other children from three separate relationships on top of supporting
0: the children that Deborah had. Yes. Who he cheated on with Rosa. Yep. And this other um, young woman who I believe was a sex worker, vulnerable population, just like a young, you know, so he's preying on these young vulnerable women. Yes. Getting them pregnant. And the worst part too, is that this young, um, this other woman he had an affair with while he was on duty, she named her baby Julio Jr. I know. And like, that sucks because Julio was a piece of shit.
1: Right. He had a pattern of impregnating vulnerable women yeah. who he manipulated yeah. and then leaving yeah. the baby's born.
0: Like they're literally
1: wiping off the fluids from the baby. And he's like, Oh, what are you going to Okay. Bye. And then <laughs> they're like, Oh, Julio, come back. This is your child too.
0: Yeah. It's crazy. And so that's the kicker too, is that, because he wasn't with Rosa and he was in a, you know, he was married and knew whatever. He was like, I'm not a hundred percent sure that Rosita is my baby. So he went to the state and he was like, I shouldn't have to pay money because I don't know if I'm the father. So it should be stalled until the paternity test comes back. Yeah, no, that's definitely his child. And they were like, you dumb, you dumb, dumb idiot. But like, come on. The crazy
1: part about that is that he went to, the court about this in November of 1997, which you may recall is a month after Rosita and Rosa were already missing. So he said, okay, I'm not going to pay child support for a little girl who is MIA. The courts don't know she's MIA. I'm going to make them reach out to Rosa for a paternity test that she's not going to respond to And she won't be able to provide the paternity test. So automatically it's a win-win for me because these people are out of my hair and the court will cancel my child support for these people because I'm already paying child support for
0: a million other kids. Right. So as you guys can already picture for sure, financial means are definitely impossible motive and i'm not empathizing with him but he did have a lot of children to pay for that can be very stressful Mm -hmm. like that's a lot of money if you think of it like i said just for rosita that was today's equivalent of almost 400 dollars a week that's a lot and for three other kids on top of that and supporting his wife's other children yeah it is a lot i'm not empathizing with him i'm just stating a fact that that is a Mm. lot of money Now, the thing about Julio is that not only did he have this history of, you know, almost like soliciting these young girls and getting them under his thumb and then impregnating them and leaving as soon as their head is crowning, you know, he has a other, some other allegations. So Julio joined the Hartford Police Department in 1988. And soon after he was hired, he was let go because he had been charged with third degree assault for hitting his first wife. And then he was fired from the department. Unfortunately, the um, allegations were dismissed for whatever reason. And um, not necessarily because it wasn't true, but maybe because the first wife didn't want to go to court. Like there's a lot of reasons why um, it could have happened, but because it was dropped, they reinstated him immediately. They were like, yeah, we knew he was a good guy. Yeah. Ridiculous. Even though they knew they were rehiring someone who had the potential of striking a woman.
1: Yeah, which fun fact, 40% of police officers that we know of, right, are domestic abusers. Interesting. That we know of. And that number is way off because who is going to go to the police and report a police officer yeah. to his brothers in blue? Exactly. Who I mean, who are they going to believe? Right. Their bro? In blue, or some woman exactly. She's hysterical, right? Our buddy would never do that. Or maybe in the back of their minds, they're aware, but they can't do shit because if you have to go out in the line of duty with that guy and he knows that you
0: mm-hmm. betrayed him, is he going to have your back? Oh no, no, right? Should he have your back? Yes, because you're that's your job. That's your job, right? And that's also not even the worst part of it is that there were other allegations coming out. And, you know, after this is more falling into place, um, as far as Rosa and Rosita, there's like trials and stuff, but he was also discovered to be raping women while on duty. And he was, he ends up being charged for two of them. And there's more, unfortunately. So he had these allegations like left and right of these naughty doesn't even cover it like the worst awful manipulative things he's doing on duty and getting away with in uniform Mm-hmm. he
1: would drive around in his cruiser <laughs> and pick up essentially sex workers yeah and the first incident reported was in 1995 And the other was in 1997. Mm -hmm. But after the fact, after these two very brave women came forward and said, this happened to me and this happened to me. Five other women came forward with similar allegations. Yeah,
0: that's not that's no joke
1: for at least one of the women. He placed them in handcuffs, his handcuffs, his police issued handcuffs in his uniform, abducted this woman. And raped her over the back of his police cruiser. Yeah. While on the clock. Yeah. While you were supposed to be out protecting and serving. He got That's paid. what you're doing? Yes. That's so messed up. He also, once this accusation came out, mm-hmm. they were thinking, I mean, already with him being tied into Rosa and Rosita's disappearance and then they find Rosa's body and, you know, that whole thing. Yeah they're kind of looking at the Hartford Police Department. Julio was one of seven police officers at the Hartford Police Department alone, accused of committing sexual crimes while employed at
0: the department. Yep. Listen, again, if you guys are regular listeners, you know that we are very much anti police. (laughs) Not some, you know, ACAB for fucking ever. But this is like just an example of like why we believe in that because this, and it went on for so long. And obviously this is not the story of the Hartford police department and their corruption. Cause whatever, like, I don't, we didn't really look into that so much, but just this story alone, it involves at the very least seven police officers raping women on duty. Those brothers in blue that everyone worships so much. Mm. It's insane and it's really scary. It's
1: terrifying because these are the people that are supposed to be protecting and serving. And they're actively using their badge, their power, their status, Mm -hmm. their brothers in blue, backing them to get away with rape, to get away with murder. Mm -hmm. Because you can't help but wonder if Julio was not a police officer, would this have turned out differently? Would we know where Rosita
0: is? would someone be behind bars for the murder of Rosa? Mm-hmm. I think you're bringing up some really good points. So, you know, when they find Rosa's body and they identify it and I know, it, you know, it takes a while and that's awful. They're looking into Julio because he has a history of being accused of these awful stuff. Starting back when he was first hired 10 plus years ago with just beating his wife. Right. So they're like, he has the capacity allegedly to, harm a woman, what's to say he wouldn't murder, you know, an ex and a baby because he cannot financially handle it? Seems like he's capable of that. Mm -hmm. So I think it's pretty great that the FBI kind of threw themselves into it because it was over state lines. I don't know if that's necessarily like a true fact of when they insert themselves, but it was a big case um, because they had a four year old girl missing. Right. And they had a body that didn't have a head or hands. So that's very intentional, very personal. And so they were like, what's up? Like we're here. And they started looking into Julio. Boy, oh boy. Was that a good find? Cause shit. Oh, this guy was, remember we were talking about Brian at the beginning. Um, the one for the woman in Massachusetts where he Googled like how to dismember. Yeah. This guy, Julio. Yeah. He's on pretty on par with that <laughs> as well. First of all, Once he was named
1: a suspect, Julio had asked his brother, also a police officer, might I just throw that in there? Jesus. To submit a false alibi for him.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: (laughs) Authorities searched Julio's car and home, and they found that the liner inside of the trunk of his car was missing, and the
0: bottom of the trunk had been sanded down. Oh, I do that every week. That's my weekly car maintenance is sanding underneath my trunk's liner. What? I'm such a car person. I'm so meticulous
1: with how my car looks. I have to sand down the piece of the car that nobody else will
0: see. Not even myself. Not even my, no. But knowing that it's scraped down, it helps me sleep at night. Like what? How do you explain that? Hello? Yeah.
1: Inside of his home, authorities found a wire garage a handmade hatchet, and two shotguns with the ends sawed off. Isn't that illegal
0: to have? Yes.
1: Oh, the police. Yes. <laughs> yep. Interesting. All of the items had no traces of blood or anything. They were actually pristine, as if they had just been cleaned and polished. Oh, polished. One of the officers actually mentioned that the hatchet they found was so clean it glistened in the sun.
0: Yikes. If that doesn't say guilty, I don't know what does.
1: Right. I mean, are you so meticulous in your life that you are standing down your trunk and shining your handmade hatchet? That's a little creepy. They also found 20 books on serial killers and how to commit the perfect murder. And inside of these books... There were pages and pages saying how cutting off someone's head and hands would be a good way to conceal the corpse's identity.
0: Listen, when I first read that, I was like, he had, it was said, you know, he had 20 plus books on serial killers. And I was like, oh, fuck. I'm, I, they I have books on, serial killers. <laughs> like behind your head, Katie, where we sit, I have a whole shelf of them. But none of them are how-to. This is the best way to conceal a body. It's just stories about the killers. So there's a very distinct difference that I think makes you look more guilty. Right. Uh, He might as well have highlighted the passages. Thank
1: you. Thank you. Was he doing little annotations in the notes? Like, give me a fucking break. Yeah. They also found a map of neighboring 180 miles away. Just a convenient hop, skip, and a jump. Mm a map of
0: New Jersey. Now that's, don't you keep, you have maps of Missouri in your car. Yeah. My favorite state. You love (laughs) Missouri.
1: Your favorite. Yeah. I go there all the time. I just hop in my car and drive an easy, you know, simple 180 miles. Right. That's pretty
0: damning, honestly.
1: Right. And I go to my favorite location the lake right off of i-80 where people dump bodies all the time that's actually my favorite tourist attraction of
0: the state perfect isn't that interesting how that lines up with the whole body that they found weird right and isn't that interesting that law enforcement know to
1: look in that place and that that location is searched frequently because people frequently dump bodies there yeah that's kind of uh, some some insider info very I interesting.
0: Think. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting.
1: Julio also had deep scratches on his face and
0: body. Oh, just from probably like he—he's a forestman. He loves hiking. He probably fell in some brush, very hard, and cut open his face. <laughs> like, how do you explain that? Right. <laughs> this guy, ridiculous. And so then he goes and he's like, we were talking about how you, a month before Rosa was found and, you know, after they went missing, he goes to the court and says, you know, I shouldn't have to pay or whatever because paternity, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, he didn't bring up that they were missing. And then of course this actually launched a dramatic custody case, which involved um, Rosa's sister, Antonia. And she is actually like, she had to go to court to fight him for potential custody of a missing child and like payments to still be made, um, which would go into like an escrow account for Rosita, which I think is a great idea, even Uh though she was missing like, pray that she's found. Right. She's still getting, like she needs that. She's right. And that's her money. That money is for her. Absolutely. Regardless of where she is.
1: Right. There's still money to be paid. Right. And in the meantime, maybe the family can use it for, I don't know, their copious expenses dealing with their missing loved
0: ones. Absolutely. Yep. And so it's so sad because Antonia, she's quoted as saying, my sister is missing with his kid and he's taking me to court. And I was like, yes, girl. Like, that is so true and so ridiculous. And I don't know. I mean, I know why they sided with him, because he was a cop. And they allowed his weekly payments to drop, which at that point they were at $193 a week to $159, which is a pretty, you know, I unfortunately don't have the conversion for that. But that's a pretty significant drop, I would say. Right. Which is
1: unfair. Right. And was he there for the family after the mother of one of his children went missing with said child. Mm. Did he check on the family and see if they've heard from Rosa? Did he check on the family and see how they were doing? No, no. Why would he? He used to call the house where they lived. Rosa and Rosita lived in a house with Rosa's sister Mm -hmm. and Rosa's little five month old sweet baby. And it was just kind of like a relative situation. Everybody was looking out for each other and they all lived together to make sure everybody was doing okay. Mm hmm. He would call that house all the time and ask about Rosa, ask to talk to her. Mm -hmm. Not really so much asking to check in on Rosita. Right. More so, oh, how's Rosa? When can I see Rosa? Yeah. As soon as they disappeared, silence. Yeah. Call stopped. Yeah. The call should have picked up. Like, have you heard from her? Is she okay? Do you know anything? Have you heard anything? Nope. Very suspicious.
0: And this is the most infuriating part to me in an absolutely ridiculous move by the police for whatever reason, probably because he was a policeman himself. They held off investigating for over a month. They started looking into the disappearances over a month later. This pissed off Rose's family. They were like, why are you not doing anything? We have a 20 year old mom and her little baby, four years old and they're gone. And they were last seen with Julio a member of your department. That's really fucking weird. They actually, I mean, and I'm doing it right now, they accused the Hartford Police Department of covering up his history of misconduct and kind of brushing it under the rug. They were like, no way. And the police chief at the time, his name was Joseph Crowell Jr. He defended the police department and he said, this is not a direct quote, but it's paraphrasing, Um, Sure, it kind of looks bad, but there's not like anything concrete that you can put on us. So we're just going to keep, you know, doing what we do. And that's wild to me, too, because at the very least,
1: how are you okay with going over a month without even, oh, okay, it's been 37 days. Now let's address this case when really... The first 24 hours in a missing person's case are critical and the first 48 hours are crucial. Yes. Yep. They know that. Oh, yeah. Everybody knows that. How many times have we talked about that on the podcast? 18 million at least. Right. How wasting time, even hours, wasting even an hour in a missing person's case or an investigation can throw the whole thing. Yeah. We know this. The police sure as shit know that because that's their job. Yep. So I feel like there's no way that was not intentional. Yeah. Not to point fingers, but, you know, the whole thing is just very suspicious. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm very curious to wonder and speculate that maybe if Julio was not a police officer,
0: maybe would this have been handled differently? Question mark. Yeah, I think I think it would. I think it would. And, um, you know, we're obviously we're talking... Shit about Julio, rightfully, so, but technically speaking, he's never been charged with the crime back then, the federal prosecutor, his name was James Glasser. He stated that there was definitely enough circumstantial evidence to charge Julio, but um the investigators wanted to wait until they had a quote stronger case uh you know, to move forward and charge him, and I literally in my notes wrote all caps, that's pretty strong though. Like, all of this stuff, right? every part of it, every part of it is pretty damning. So it's actually even questioned if Deborah Julio's wife, had any involvement with their disappearance. She's quoted as saying, we have no involvement or knowledge of where they are. We feel for whatever they're going through, but that is their family problem. And when I read that, I was like, you did not just say, put your problem, like, that's their problem, not mine. I don't want to talk about it. Um... That's your husband's child. Right. And even if
1: you're not related, how could you not feel for and be concerned for a missing child? And I mean, Rose is 21 years old. That's pretty much a child herself. Yeah. How are you not concerned about two missing girls from your community? Yeah. How can you just say, oh, that's their problem. I'm going to mind my business. And
0: as a mother, too. I just can't. I just can't. A year after the crime, Julio resigned from the police force and he claimed it was because he had to take care of Debbie. You know, she had a back injury and she was disabled. And, you know, he was he was a doting, doting hussy. He loved to help and he just wanted to care for his wife. He loved women and, you know, all this stuff. It stopped there with Rosa and Rosita, but it didn't stop with those rape allegations as well. It just kind of continued and he was eventually put on trial For those two rapes that you mentioned, Katie, from 1995 and 1997, which I do want to point out happened after Rosita was born. So, like, you know, he has children, he has duties, and he's still doing this shit. Right. Probably maybe with the intention of impregnating those women. He actually pled guilty to those rapes. And he was held without bail. And the judge at the time, his name was Thomas Smith. He's quoted as saying that the allegations were, quote, some of the most savage of the Hartford police accused during that period. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, obviously, Julio did go, not necessarily through trial because he pled guilty, but, like, through, you know, the legal system at that point. And, man, his lawyers, I, I read all this and I was like, I want to punch you in the face. You stupid, stupid, defending this, I know that's your job, but defending this guy in the ways they were, terrible.
1: Julio's lawyer, assistant federal public defender Roger Seigel, said that Julio deserved leniency because one of the rape victims was a drug-addicted sex worker, and he didn't believe that she was particularly vulnerable. I'm sorry, but I think that makes her extremely vulnerable. Like, the most vulnerable. Thank you. Mm Mm-hmm. He also said that Julio would face increased danger in prison as a former cop. Oh, no. Oh, no. I'm sorry, but if you're a police officer, I think you know that if you were to go in prison, you're probably not going to be the most well-liked guy there. So would you maybe try to avoid going to prison and therefore be an upstanding member of the community and do your job and protect and serve? That's a really good question. It
0: seems pretty simple.
1: Hello. This lawyer also said that Julio donated to charity in the past.
0: Good. Good. (laughs) Clapping for you, Julio. That's wonderful. And he also saved someone from a fire while on duty. Oh, like a police officer. (laughs) That's cool. Listen, I know that firefighters, you know, that's a chunk of their job. Of course. Like, that's very important. Police officers, that is part of it. Like, they do save people from things and they're brave, you know, they go in so the fact that he did his job is great. <laughs> on at least one occasion he did do at his the bars in hell. Okay. No wow. Right? right. Wow. <laughs>
1: Actually when he pled guilty to the two rape charges, the prosecution decided based on his guilty plea to cut him some slack. Oh. And not seek charges in any other cases, which would include his daughter's disappearance and the murder of his ex-girlfriend. The mother of aforementioned missing daughter, right?
0: (laughs) Well, isn't that good for him? Oh, lucky boy. Wild. So, him
1: pleading guilty is actually super convenient because he got to avoid any other charge, Mm -hmm. including the ones that he was in the hot seat for. Yep. And he was only sentenced to 10 years and served eight of them. Just a measly little eight. And now he's living life
0: in Virginia. (sighs) I can't. I hate this man. I hate him, and that literally like ends that's where it ends for him. There was a little thing that happened in 2016 um a forensic team from washington d c actually dug up the yard of a property which was in Cromwell, Connecticut, which was where he used to live um He owned this home until two thousand one, which is when he went to jail um, and then it went to f- foreclosure and so they dug up the yard looking for Rosa's head in her hands and Rosita. Uh, spoiler alert. They did not find shit, but I think there's a reason
1: why they didn't. Yeah. So there was an article about this, you know, oh, the FBI are getting involved and all the neighbors were freaking out. They're thinking, why is the FBI in our Mm -hmm. little neighborhood digging up our former neighbor's backyard? Mm -hmm. And someone actually left a comment on an article about the dig Mm -hmm. and they said they dug up the wrong place. And they should have searched where there used to be a shed in the back. There's no longer a shed, mm-hmm. but this shed had a cement floor. Oh. And the cement floor was replaced shortly after Rosa and Rosita went missing. Huh. Timing on that is crazy. It's, it's really convenient, actually, because right when one of your children and the mother of that child who you conceive the child through statutory rape and that's aside from the point i I guess whatever you know you're you really think that that's a great time to do a lot of just little projects around the house like sanding down the trunk underneath the liner you know Mm -hmm. just a little like home improvement stuff and then replacing the perfectly fine cement floor in the shed that the shed no longer exists because you had to get rid of the shed because you can't have a shed there But the cement
0: floor had to be replaced. Well, it had a tiny, tiny, tiny oil stain on it. It had to be done. He loves he loves perfection. You gotta sand the trunk. You gotta glisten (laughs) those handmade hatchets, and you gotta replace the concrete floor at the drop of anything.
1: I'm sure there was a little bit of a stain on that old concrete floor. I I bet you there was a stain.
0: Oil? I don't know if it was oil so much as it was blood. (sighs) Yep.
1: To this day, Rosita's disappearance and her mother, Rosa's murder, remain unsolved. Even though in our minds and hearts, me and Liz, and hopefully you guys, we know who's responsible.
0: Yeah.
1: Rosa's head and her hands that were severed from her body have also never been found. At the time of Rosita's disappearance, the sweet little four-year-old was wearing a black jacket and blue pants. She's a Hispanic female with brown hair and brown eyes. Spanish was the language she spoke primarily at the time of her disappearance because it was a Spanish-speaking household, but she knew a couple English words and phrases at the time. Mm -hmm. She was three feet tall exactly and weighed a whopping 38 pounds. Authorities and the FBI believe that she may have been brought to Puerto Rico. Interesting. I'll give the phone number to call with any information because even though we know who's responsible for Rosa... You know, parts of her are still missing, and we have a whole child who's still missing.
0: Yeah.
1: The phone number to call for our best friends, the Hartford Police Department, is 860-527-6300. And that
0: is the murder of Rosa Delgado in the disappearance of her sweet little baby, Rosita. Terrible. Terrible stuff. And, like you said, very obvious, the answer. But we are unfortunately... Unfortunately, not police officers. (laughs) So we can't do anything even remotely. What we can do is make this podcast and bring awareness to the case because maybe you were in Hartford, Connecticut in 1996. Maybe you were, you know, around there and you knew Rosa or you knew Rosita, you know, your kid played with Rosita, whatever. Maybe your cousin was friends and you hear this and you're like, that's weird. I remember this. Great. So we want to hear what you think, and if you have things like that, call the police. But we want to know what you think. Do you think he's guilty? The correct answer is yes. Um, (laughs) But you can still tell us what you think uh, on our social media, which would be our Instagram and Twitter, which are truecrimene, all lowercase. Or you can send us an email at our email address, which would be truecrimene at gmail.com. We also can't forget about our website,
1: truecrimene.com. We have pages about this episode where we have a photo of Rosita as well as her mom Rosa. We also have pages for all of our other previous episodes, our case profiles, mini episodes. If you scroll to our contact page, we have a handy dandy submission tool where you can leave your name if you so choose, be anonymous. That is also a very convenient location where you can send us your thoughts about this case, thoughts about other cases we've done, and maybe even cases that you would like to hear
0: us cover in the future. New England based, please. Yes. And, uh, if you guys think of it, if you like the work that we do, um, and think that we are just growing as podcasters, please feel free to hit up our Spotify, uh, or our Apple podcast and give us a review. Spotify, you can do a star review, while Apple Podcasts, you can do a star and a written review, if you so choose. I would recommend it because we like reading them, but it would be really nice if we could get feedback from you guys. What are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? How can we improve? Whatever. Also, mostly compliments as well would be nice. (laughs) Just kidding. But we appreciate you guys. Thank you for listening. And with that, we'll see ya next week. Bye. Goodbye.